Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Hello and welcome to our new short format servings of consciously prepared brain food designed to improve your mental fitness. This is Lisa Cypress Kamen, your host. For more than 12 years, we've been proudly and consistently crafting harvesting happiness and sharing it with you. Each week, we spotlight diverse thinkers and doers who are contemporary trendsetters and change agents devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. We invite you to listen up and change the way you think about human happiness. Our award-winning content is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Alrighty then, let's dive in. This episode offers psychosocial education designed to inspire and motivate our listeners. The information provided does not constitute a therapeutic relationship nor a substitute for professional mental health care. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, call 911, go to your nearest emergency room, or for listeners in the United States, text 988 for the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. This episode originally aired in June of 2022. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining me on today's show, where you will learn about mental muscle tone, train your brain, and elevate your performance. My guest today is Dr. Daya Grant, who holds a master's degree in kinesiology, sports psychology, and a PhD in neuroscience from UCLA. Daya is a certified mental performance consultant through the Association of Applied Sports Psychology. Daya is also a certified yoga teacher with more than 15 years experience. In her private practice, Dr. Grant helps elite athletes cultivate mental strength and elevate performance while finding fulfillment in the pursuit. And I have Daya in the house. I'm so excited to have a conversation with you, Daya, because we share a love of a lot of the same things we realized. Yes, I am thrilled to be here. It's such an honor. And I always love connecting with amazing people who love all of these same things. You and I were talking about our favorite Peloton teachers, which made me giggle, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Who gets us dancing in our seats? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Let's talk about, you know, sort of break it down. You work with peak performance athletes and you also help sort of mere mortals, scale down, applying the same philosophy and methodology using neuroscience, yoga, sports psychology, et cetera, et cetera. And I would love for you to share a little bit about the neuroscience behind yoga, because people don't understand that there is a science there. Mm, Yes. Well, what's so cool is we forget that the yogis, the original yogis who were first doing this practice thousands and thousands of years ago, were the scientists of their day, right? They were experimenting, they were posing questions and then experimenting with it and seeing what the results were and then making some tweaks and adjustments and seeing what came from that. So now when we talk about the science of yoga, it's it's more the modern science of yoga. It's the tools that we now have available, such as neuroimaging, brain scans, um, such as 
different psychological and physiological measures. Those are the modern, the modern techniques we have at our disposal. But really, we know this practice works. It's now just applying today's science to this 5,000, 10,000-year-old practice. Um, and that's really exciting. And there's a lot that has been done, but there's so much more yet to be done. And I just love keeping up with the research and seeing what is happening in the brain structurally and functionally when we practice yoga. Are there changes after a single 20-minute yoga session. And when I say yoga, I'm really talking about both the asana practice and the meditation practice. Um, and of course, researchers parse those out. But it is tremendous what we're finding. And the proof is really there. I mean, this stuff, this stuff works. <laughs> well, you say something really interesting, and that is the 20 minutes. Because, you know, for people who have been practicing a long time, oftentimes we think, well, unless we have that full one hour practice, that we're not getting the benefits of that practice. And what I just heard you say is that's not true. Even a short little session can do a lot. Absolutely. And it's cumulative. So if all you have is five minutes to meditate every day or 20 minutes to move through an asana practice, then over time that adds up and that builds. And it doesn't take much for our physiology to change. So yes, absolutely. In, in five minutes of meditating, we already see changes in brain waves. We see changes in heart rate, in um, heart rate variability, there are all these things that are modified after a short practice. After 20 minutes, we know that there's there's something happening with activation of the default mode network, which I talk about a lot because it's relatively new um, in terms of its discovery. And it's we know that the brain at rest is is not really at rest. It's always it's doing never something. resting. It you never is. And so the default was found actually by accident when neuroscientists realized that, oh my goodness, when a participant in a study is not doing a particular mental or cognitive task, their brain is actually activated. And there's a baseline activation there. And that's what's called the activation of the default mode network. But what's important to know is if the default mode network is overactive, then we get something like rumination, and that can lead to anxiety, depression. So we really want to have a nice balance between our, our mind at work, our brain at work, and something that looks a little bit more restful than that default mode network. Um, so meditation, we've seen recently in recent studies that meditation decreases activation of the default mode network, which is awesome. I mean, we're now talking about a very practical way in a short period of time to reduce our chances of slipping into that ruminative state, which all of us have, have done. And I think the last two years when we've spent a lot of time alone and isolated, it's easy to shift into that self-referential thought to, um, really internal thoughts. And we have this technique that requires nothing but ourselves that we can activate and use 
to balance that. And just as a reminder, please share the emotional and physical benefits of this practice, even these five minutes a day, because, and you mentioned about the heart regulation, blood pressure, but there's more. Yes. Oh my goodness. There's so much. Um, we, again, as I was saying, there's, there's a cumulative effect. So after one practice, I mean, even let's not even talk about five minutes. Let's talk about taking a single deep breath. Like who, as you're listening to this, just take a single deep breath. Well, let's just do it together. We'll pause for a moment and let's just take a deep breath in and out. Okay. That's all it takes to slow things down. And emotionally, you're now creating a little bit of space between stimulus and response. I think when we talk about stress, when we talk about this hustle culture that we're in, when we're talking about go, 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 and the four-letter word that I really don't like, busy, it's (laughs) this uh, (laughs) hyperactive, just constant movement And that single deep breath where you're really focusing slows things down and you now become less reactive, more responsive. And emotionally, you're balanced. You're able to now see things like zoom out and see things from a better perspective. And you're not so caught up in what's going on. It's amazing how how much the breath is tied to our thoughts. So when we sit down to meditate, if you've ever done a mindfulness practice and you're simply observing the present moment and your body's response to it, it's sometimes interesting to notice that, oh my gosh, my breath is pretty shallow. It's moving pretty quick. And my, my thoughts are going all over the place. I'm certainly contributing to that, you know, 70,000 thought figure a day that we, we estimate. But when you slow down, you slow your breathing, which comes naturally through a short meditation practice or at the end of a yoga practice or a restorative practice, then you're able to slow your thoughts and you have a much better grasp on the activity in your brain, what's going through your mind, and it's easier to handle it. And anecdotally, we know that. And now the, the neuroscience supports that. Um, and then there's also findings looking at how your brain actually changes in structure over time. So again, cumulative effects, short practices as consistently as possible can have profound results. Um, one example is the, the hippocampus that is tied so directly to memory changes over time as we practice meditating. And the thing with the hippocampus is that it is very strongly connected to the insula, which is part of your brain that's very much involved with with emotional regulation. And it's a deep, deep part of the brain. And when it's also involved with fear. And so we see over time, cumulatively, these short practices can actually shrink the insula in size, which means that because it's tied to the hippocampus, your fear memories may 
detach in some way, um, not necessarily shrink, but you have space between your self, your present day self, and these fear memories. And that's super that's tremendous that, that is, their brain yeah. is actually changing not only in structure, but also in function. That is fascinating. I want to ask about the time it takes for the brain, and I, I, I think I already know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway, to shift in mental conditioning. I mean, because what I heard you say, it's like, even from the first five minutes, you've got to shift. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So this is, this is what's interesting. And I think there's a lot of research yet to be done here. We do know that there's a pretty immediate shift. Yes. From a single breath. Yes. From five minutes. Yes. From 20 minutes. However, how long does that last? And what we see so far is it doesn't actually last that long. Um, so you can't get away with a five-minute meditation practice today and then expect the next two months to be <laughs> glorious. <laughs> Point well but taken. But <laughs> there may be, and this is where the, the data still needs to support this, but there may be a cumulative effect so that if you're doing a five-minute meditation practice or um, you know, a pranayama practice every day consistently for a year, then maybe you're having, there's a longer effect there. But we know that the brain, there's a lot of neuroplasticity, a lot of changing that happens in the brain, and it is very easy for it to go back to where it was. Um, so, and we, we, we can feel that. I think any of us who have had a very consistent meditation practice have these periods where we slip out of it. And once we're in that, after a period of time, you start to realize, huh, I feel out of alignment here. I feel a little bit more reactive. I feel a little bit more emotional. Um, it may not happen the first day you don't meditate. It may for some, but for others, it may take some, day some time. Three, so, so yes, the effects are immediate, <laughs> but how long they last, we have yet to determine. And most likely it builds over time. So the more consistent you can be for longer is going to be better. So the case for the meditation, albeit a brief one, is in part as a stress inoculator. Absolutely. Yeah. That not only does it calm us down, but it is preventative for come what may. Yes, absolutely. And we've seen that. There's some real cool, really cool research looking at, um, they call it stress resilience. So you practice yoga, you practice meditation and what you're doing is yes, you're inoculating your brain, protecting it against the effects of stress that is something we can all benefit from, whether you consider yourself a high performer or not. We're living in this, in this world where there's a lot going on. There's a lot of heaviness. There's a lot shifting and changing. And how do we anchor ourselves? Well, we do it through this practice. And yes, in the neuroscience and psychology data says this can protect your brain from, from stress down the road. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, we will continue the conversation with Dr. Daya Grant. To learn more, please visit diagrant.com, on Twitter at Dr. Daya Grant, and on Instagram, Dr. Daya Grant. Here comes the break. We'll be right back, and that is a promise. Each day, we have the intellectual freedom to be happy 
or the liberty to be miserable, regardless of external circumstance. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health, urge them to seek professional support because good psychological health is vital in achieving a satisfying life. Visit HarvestingHappiness.com for psychosocial educational resources to boost emotional and social intelligence. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness? Sharing is caring. Pay it forward by spreading the word to your tribe through social media. Find us at Harvesting Happiness on Facebook and me at Lisa Kamen on Twitter. And we're back continuing the conversation with Dr. Daya Grant. We're talking about mental muscle tone, train your brain and elevate your performance. Let's get back to it. So Daya, let's talk a little bit about the elite athletes that you work with and how you train with them and then how that scales to the average person like me. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So they come to me with a variety of challenges that they're dealing with. For the most part, everyone wants to perform better, more consistently. And the underlying reasons for the inconsistency vary. Some may deal with pre-competition anxiety. Some may deal with motivation, ebbing and flowing. Others may have had an injury and they're dealing with some fear about returning from that injury um, and not getting re-injured. The reasons vary, but all of these high, high performers are passionate about what they do and they want to perform better, more consistently. So we use a variety of tools and I do not believe that there's one toolkit for everybody, nor do I believe that tools are always going to work for the same person in different conditions. So my job is to really empower them to learn all of these tools, to hone them, and then to know when do I need to use this one versus this other one. And part of being a mentally tough athlete is being able to make those adjustments, is being able to say, okay, hold on, this isn't working. I've got to pull out another tool. But that's great because I've trained this one as well. So some of the things we do, I mean, meditation is a pillar of my practice. And every single one of my athletes, and, and I also work with other high performers who aren't athletes, um, they all get into meditating. I really am a meditation pusher because of all Yay, the data. And it works. Yes, it works. It works. Um, so that's a big piece of it. And there's a lot of stress management that we do. There is learning a variety of breathing techniques and then knowing, okay, I'm feeling really anxious before I go up to bat. Um, I'm going to practice some four, seven, eight breathing and really tap into my parasympathetic nervous system just enough so that I can find that sweet spot in which I need to perform. Or it's, I'm feeling really chill. <laughs> Maybe I need to fire things up a little bit. Okay. Like we can, we can breathe differently. We can focus on the inhale, breathe quicker, um, to get into that state. So a lot of what I do is first helping athletes and other high performers identify where they need to be 
psychologically, physiologically to perform at their best. So there's a lot of awareness that goes on there. And that applies to any of us. What do you need to have a really smooth, um, synergistic, exciting, beautiful interview? What do you need to bring to that? What level of intensity of mental clarity, um, you need to know that. And that's going to be different between you versus Rich Roll versus Oprah. Everyone's yes. going to have a different sweet spot. So that's important. And then it's figuring out how to get there. Um, we also, we also do a lot of intention setting. So what is your goal for, for this practice, for this training session, for this week. And again, that applies to every single one of us. Um, we talk a little bit about sleep, a little bit about nutrition, because those are all pieces that Indeed. are important. <laughs> yes. And I'm not a sleep expert, nor am I nu a nutritionist, but it's important that athletes are aware of how those pieces fit into the bigger picture. Well, it's, it's integrative. I mean, you can't have peak performance in life or in your sport without all of those elements, you know, the mind, body, spirit aligned and, and firing at a pretty high level in order to operate well. Absolutely. And that idea actually just reminded me of another huge piece of what I do and what I think is applicable to anyone is there's so much changing and happening around us, which I alluded to before. And part of my, what I consider my responsibility is empowering people to connect to that within them that does not change. It's that light that we all have. It's that light that's always going to be there, whether you retire from your day job, from your sport, from however you perform and shift into something else, whether everything around you falls apart, it's always there. And so I think it's really critical that we tune into that and we pay attention to that light that we have so that as things change around us, we're not caught up in the waves. We're really able to ride them and say, okay, well, I've got this center, this core center within me and I can bob and weave. We can handle this. We can, we can do it. <laughs> You're sounding like a uh, spiritual neuroscientist. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good, that's yeah. a, I haven't heard that term. And I think that's so that resonates deeply. That feels perfect. <laughs> well, it's, I, I mean, I, I never thought of it in those terms, but as you're speaking, that's what comes to mind that it, it really is that confluence. And maybe that is the spiritual part of the yoga, you know, the, the type of yoga we take off the mat and into yes. the world. Yes, absolutely. Because isn't that why we practice yoga anyway? It's not so that we can master these asanas. It's not so that we can sit in a perfectly quiet, dark room for 20 minutes and just be. It's so that we can interact in this world. Unless we choose to be a monk, um, it's so that we can interact in this world and really serve our highest good and also the highest good of everyone we interact with. Amen. <laughs> I, agree. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And I love 
how you've been able to blend your practice with these different modalities and back up that which we had always suspected but weren't able to prove. And now we've got the proof that yoga, movement, breath, meditation, all of these things support not just our health, but our performance. Yes. And that's another thing that's important to remember for any of us who aren't necessarily high-performing athletes is that we we need to move our body as part of this too. And when you just said that it's about the integration of mind, body, and spirit, you, you can't just train your mind without also training your body. And you can't tap into your spirit without training your mind and your body. And so that's what I love about the work I do. And the, the athletes specifically that come to me, they already have that body piece. They already yeah. have that passion for movement. And for anyone who doesn't consider themselves an athlete, well, find a way to move because the science is there to back that up too. And um, while I typically apply mental skills to humans that are already moving a heck of a lot, it also works in reverse. So by moving, you're able to cultivate mental skills. And that then applies to whatever it is you're doing outside of movement. So know that as you're getting on your Peloton, as you're moving through a yoga practice, as you're going for a walk with your dog, you are increasing neurochemicals in your brain that help increase resilience, stress resilience. You are activating um, well, you know, we, we know the endorphins, but they're also endocannabinoids, which we now know. Mm-mm-mm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we know that. That sounds interesting. Yes. Okay. There are obviously, there's so much to that whole area of science and there are endocannabinoid receptors in our brain that are binding these endocannabinoids that are activated, not when we're ingesting marijuana, but when we're moving our body yeah, the and action. so, so cool. And I want to add one other thing to what you're saying about aging, about healthy aging is that the more we move our bodies, the more healthy the body will be as we age, the better performing it will be cognitively as well. Yes, absolutely. I mean, an object in motion stays in motion, right? So (laughs) (laughs) you keep moving and, um, and you absolutely see those cognitive benefits. And as we're dealing with huge increases in the numbers of people who are suffering from Alzheimer's and dementia and mild cognitive impairment, um, this is becoming really important. And we know that there are lifestyle choices you can make that will decrease your risk for those neurodegenerative diseases. Um, so yes, we have to move our body. And again, it's not necessarily the 45 minute, one hour Peloton ride or strength class. It's just doing something as many days as, as possible and listening to your body too, of course, yes. and knowing when to slow down. Um, but just staying active, breathing in fresh air, going outside, playing with your kids or your grandkids or your pet, 
um, all of that counts. Yeah. Dr. Daya Grant, thank you for being with me today. I have loved sharing this time with you. You are inspiring. You help break down why these practices are good for us and also give us the prescription in a small dose that pretty much anybody can do from anywhere, you know, even sitting in your car. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. We all can apply these techniques to our daily lives and really reap the benefits from it. And that as I mentioned, benefits all those around us too. So thank you so much for this joy in this conversation. Oh, right back at you. To learn more about Dr. Daya Grant, please visit diagrant.com on Twitter at Dr. Daya Grant and on Instagram, doctor period. So it's Grant. Thanks again, Daya. I love this conversation. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen on behalf of my guest, Dr. Daya Grant, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Please go out and rock your day and remember to be kind to one another. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes from our mental muscle toning libraries at HarvestingHappinessTalkRadio.com, Toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about my global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following me on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced by me, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, Andrea Mangeli, Robin Boyd, Andrea Daly, and the awesome team at Podfly Productions, including Eric Begay, Kimberly Beck, and Alec Gus, in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUURadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.